Jim has a newsletter called The Good Word, and he blogs at jimclair.com. And his newsletter about reading uh, and the books he's bought and is going through is probably one of the rare ones that I read from beginning to end every time it hits my inbox. There's always good stuff in it. Uh, I always find it interesting and engaging. And Jim's obviously come along, maybe not obviously, but he's come along his own journey um, through his career and through his reading and how he has evolved in his reading and how, how he intakes information. And I saw not exactly a mirror image, but a similar growth pattern in my own life. And so for those who want to improve the reading, improve the taste of what they read and what they're putting in their heads and therefore hopefully help increase their the ability of their thinking <laughs> and clarity of their thinking. Uh, I wanted to have him on to talk about that and what steps people can take to start improving their reading habits and improving their taste. So Jim, thanks again. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Um, yeah. And thank you for the kind words in the newsletter. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's taken from more copywriting and, and more towards reading and whatever I'm doing on reading and books is, is striking a chord and I can't even quite put a finger on it. Um, but it is interesting you said about developing taste because I've had a few different people from different areas have, have mentioned that. So, I mean, I, I can, I'll go with it, but, uh, yeah, it just kind of started, connecting and resonating and uh which i enjoy because copywriting is fun and all but there's a, <laughs> to, to sound snobby i think there's really only only so much you can say on it um and a very reading is way more expansive and also uh has a definitely very personal to me because I, I think reading offers multiple benefits on a variety of levels yeah there's only so many scams you can debunk with with the copywriting world because they're all repeated at some level um evil's kind of boring in that way but um yeah right yeah i mean it, it's fun talking on you know because like the success world is in a way it's, it is a religion but yeah like when i first started i'm like i don't want to just be sitting there like this guru's doing this i mean someone like coffeezilla i think does wonderful work on it uh, but it's just like this is, this is not exactly my my entire lane here. Yeah, it's one of those things. You're glad some people are doing it. It's someone's lane, but it's not mine. Um. All right. Well, let's let's get started about uh, reading. Um. Why should you seek to improve your taste, the quality of the books you you intake? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, there, there's a couple of, I mean, the, the simple answer is it colors your world. Um, it, it, it adds a much richer color to everything you see. And that color goes to personal depth, to, you know, your professional expertise, to your understanding, to you, uh, and to just greater enjoyment. So, you know, improving your taste, is something that takes you, uh, I believe, much deeper. You know, there's a there's a ton of self development books out there, and there's a ton of marketing books and professional self development books, and those books do offer a purpose, and they can be very exciting because they can give you a you know a nugget to five nuggets of information that you can try to apply, like you, know, you can get better habits or you can try a new marketing thing, and those books seem like they really expand your world at first. But not really, right? I mean, it's, it's great that they are there, but when you improve your taste, you take things to a, a much different level. Um, you become much more aware of what's going on. I believe, personally, you know, within yourself, you know, because certain books can just uh, arrest you with a certain passage that just, just takes you to a different dimension. Or, you know, if you're reading, uh, you know, a certain time period, you can just stumble across something whether it's a movie or a piece of art, and you're like, oh, I know what this is. You know, then it, it just adds a whole level of color and enjoyment to it, I think. 
Yeah, and books are almost telepathy in that sense. And especially older books, then it's amazing how we can read the thoughts of people who lived 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and and get some kind of sense of how they thought. It's it's almost magic in that sense. Um, so what what would you say is a good book versus a not good book? Uh, not necessarily in a pretentious way because everyone likes, I mean, I'll eat some candy from time to time. It's not going to kill me. It's enjoyable. But if I had made my whole diet candy, then I'd be dead in three years or less. So what, what would you say makes a good book that helps that is part of a higher taste, higher class versus something that is a lower requires a lesser palate, so to speak. Right. So, I mean, you know, an easy answer could be, especially to someone who wants to develop a a good, better reading habit. And I know we're going to get into that more later, but it's going to be at first, it's something that you enjoy, you know, it's something that you can get into, but you're exactly right. Like guilty pleasure books are a lot of fun, but you know, it's best to kind of go beyond that because you can even read something like, just like you said, of the great minds and that conversation of great thinkers or the conversation of, of books or thinkers that have completely that have had massive influence on our world. that you can come to a guilty pleasure book and you can see that conversation existing. Uh, you know, you can understand the characters better, which, again, adds that color that I mentioned before. But I believe there is a hierarchy of good books. And, of course, some of it that, that does get subjective to taste. You know, one person could say it's, uh, you know, Don, or, you know sir, uh, Don Quixote is the greatest fiction. And another person could say it's the growth of the soil is the greatest fiction. That, I mean, that gets into hair splitting. But there is a, there is a sense of hierarchy. Um, you know, there's not like a relativism like, oh, bro, it's all relative, you know, um, <laughs> like there are absolutely great books that are more you know, like mass market. And some of them are really well done. Yet there is a, you know, an influence of like the, something like just Don Quixote hits with a certain weight. Um, you know, it's a, it's a book that just speaks to so many lessons right so many insights there's just it's so uh, enlightening enriching uh, and you know and so much enjoyment and so it goes for nonfiction and fiction right there's there's great books on the hierarchy that a lot of them you know each one sometimes it's an idea that can influence the world i mean i'm not a huge karl marx guy i'm i'm very conservative but karl marx influ like his influence is, is insane um you know, so that's it's like what that that book has so much gravity and weight, even if you think it's nonsense, you can't deny how much gravity and weight it had. Or same thing with Edmund Burke. He didn't expect to become, you know, the the godfather or the, you know, the uh, kind of the founder of the Republican Party or the conservative uh, philosophy in America. He never expected that. But the ideas he put forward, you know, completely influenced various thinkers of human nature and everything like they, they may be writing more political tracks or Edmund Burke, you know, but he, he influenced so much in a line of thought and what influenced him is, you know, is Aristotle. And then you can see these kinds of influences. If you switch over to fiction or literature, you can see these influences. You can see these conversations coming through. And some of these authors, you know, may have been very directly, uh, you know, like, um, entertaining or engaging with, say, Edmund Burke, but they or, or they may not have been, but they were aware of those ideas. There was something there that uh, added gravity to it, which is really fascinating um, if you think about it. The, how how that can kind of work. So there is a hierarchy. I think there is a, there is works that just influence and shape and and totally alter how we look at uh, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, well, I didn't like it, therefore it's bad. Um, so the, their own taste, which might be terrible, <laughs> objectively terrible, is how they measure the world. But really there's four different categories, and it, 
and if you're going to improve your taste, I think it's important to set these out is it can be good and you not like it and not be part of your preference. It can be bad and you not like it, or it can be good and you like it, or it can be bad and you can still like it (laughs) like, like a big Mac on a Saturday afternoon or something like that. It's something just, it hits the spot for some reason, even though objectively that big Mac is not the same as a porterhouse you've grilled yourself at home. Um, but as long as you keep those categories in mind, I can recognize that, yes, there is some kind of objectivity here. I can move forward better and not have my own relative thinking influence that. Right. There's a, I mean, those, those points are fantastic. And I, and I, you know, I think of, especially if you're on Twitter or in the success space, it's on one end, it's easy to think, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who think, oh, if it's not short sentences, you know, at a third grade level, and I can't understand it, it's, it's <laughs> stupid and academic, right? But that misses a lot of nuance, right? That misses a lot of color because, yes, there are books and there are thinkers out there who completely projected a ton of nonsense, Um uh, you know, and I'll sound like you know, snobby or pretentious. Saying like I think like Sartre is just or or is like kind of just nonsensical to me. Um, but I think his arguments are nonsense. He had a lot of impact. Where I think Camus, Albert Camus, made more sense. But kind of coming back down to to the to the norm here, there's there's a kind of that knee jerk impulse to reject anything that suddenly seems difficult or challenging, and that's doing yourself a great disservice because. The, you may not net, uh, you may not understand the style, or you may just have a bad translation. You don't know. Like you know, you, you could pick up Aristotle's Ethics and be like I have no idea what this is, but you don't realize you have a bad translation. Um, you know, so that kind of you start boxing yourself in because it's not you know it doesn't look like a Seth Godin book or one of the books in the nine read these nine books to become a man or entrepreneur or something, and that you know that sets yourself back i think so there has to be you know you have to be able to you know look above that yes you're exactly right there's books that some books are a little bit of a slog the ideas may be great in them but the writing might be a little bit dry um you know like an example of that is adam smith is a great writer but there's there's parts where it can get a little bit dry but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is bad um, it's just something you might need to take. It's worthwhile sometimes to take your time with. And sometimes it takes, uh, you know, kind of a good reading habit to develop the discipline and the, and the mental or the cognitive endurance to kind of take your time with something where it's a little bit dry, but you recognize or you have heard like this book has, has altered a lot of mankind. And then, yeah, back to the, to the Marx example. Like, I mean, I think Marx is, is, is nuts with a lot of ideas. Um but you can read him and I can walk away from him. Well, this guy's nuts. <laughs> this is not going to work. He makes them, you know, he makes some fair points on this stuff, but no, this is this, he just ignores reality with so much stuff, but you can walk away with that. But you can understand like this book is for some people is, is an entire movement. Why, you know, you don't have to necessarily agree with it. So there is those, those moments of being able to understand like what it is you're reading and yeah you can walk away like this is bad this is nonsense this guy has no idea what he's talking about and you can do that from a place of of understanding or you know it's um it it does connect and you have to take time with it so just because it's difficult to read and not all great books are difficult to read that's another big myth Uh, but just because it's difficult to read doesn't mean that it's bad or anything like that yeah in fact that that ability to entertain a thought and reject it is sometimes called thinking, right? That's just how people think. Yeah, a little um, thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good point about being intimidated about these classics or older books, because a lot of people are. Um, they've been scared off of them. But it's it's worthwhile to mention that a lot of these are more accessible than you think and easier reads than you think. They didn't stand the test of time because they were completely obscure and inaccessible to the common man. Uh, They had such a wide ranging effect because they were digestible. So even something like 
if you grab a book of some of Plato's dialogues, some of those are just Im- very easy to digest and read. Now, it might take a while to think through them, but they read exactly what they are, a dialogue. Um, especially if you're reading things like things about Socrates' death and things. It's just fascinating because there's a story in the background that's happening. And it's not confusing. It's very straightforward. Things are laid out clearly, and it, it does give you a lot to think about. But it's not an overwhelming task. And the same thing with, like, the Odyssey. I mean, if you just get a good translation of the Odyssey, that thing flips like a modern-day thriller, right? It's People just have this mindset that something isn't for them, and they automatically disregard it. Right. They, they look at it, uh, you know, like they can look at it. it, it oh, it's, it's very difficult. The sentences are long. I, I'm going to ignore this. Um, and that seems intimidating. Um, or the, the other element, uh, I think, is, you know, we have there's a lot of reading insecurity out there. And so people think they grab something, say, like the Federalist Papers. Or they, yeah, they, or maybe they do, do grab like Don Quixote and they think immediately they need to be understanding these, these high level ideas. You know, they need to be understanding like, oh, well, this is just like that. You know, they, they need to be like this master historian or this master literary critic of sorts. And that's, you know, I understand that impulse. Uh, I mean, right now, currently I'm reading Gibbons, uh, The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. And, <laughs> Yeah, which is, which <laughs> a, is a, a readable work, and we can get to that later. But one of my favorite historians and one of my favorite writers is Neil Ferguson, and he loves Gibbon. And I pay attention to Neil Ferguson. So if I come across a tidbit where it's like he talks about Gibbon, I'm like, how am I not seeing that? I must not be reading it right, right? So that that impulse is very natural to think like you need to be understanding this thing on a, on a high level. But you know, the the key is is the the way you're going to understand it more is. You, is you're just going to have to engage with the works. Like you don't need to be, uh, you, you don't you don't need to be Neil Ferguson level to to enjoy these books because you're you're working yourself to try to understand it yourself. You're you're engaging it with it yourself, and that does take work because we are used to a lot of books that immediately pander to us. Uh, you know, with with short writing and all the nuggets and everything like that. Like we're we're taught that we're supposed to just understand it, or we see a figure like. Ryan Holiday, we try to shove everything through the lens of stoicism. So we, you know, we read a book and we're like, well, I, I just got to, Churchill just must not have cared what people thought of him or something. Right. So you're trying to like dissect it with a, these other people's compasses when you just got to have to go, go through it yourself and take your time with it. Um, you know, and understand like there are things that, are, that you may not understand and that's okay. You don't need to know everything. That's kind of the cool thing is like, well, I don't understand this. I can be curious on it and try to figure it out a little bit more. Like that's how you start kind of grasping things that immediately look difficult is, is is stop worrying about the insecurity of like, I don't understand this. So I don't need to read this. I don't have time for this stuff when you, but when you can get it and you're like, Oh, now I'm, you know, and we'll start working through and take the patience. It'll start coming together. Uh, It takes time. It doesn't come together in five easy minutes or so. It takes time uh, to go through it. Yeah. And just like anything, this is a muscle you can exercise. And so you don't want to immediately put 10 barbells or (laughs) 10 weights on the barbell when this is your first time in the gym, right? You can ease into this type of stuff. Start with some body weight squats. Um, but yeah. Um, well, let's talk about let's. There's someone who once said, "Read what you love until you love to read." And I forgot who said that. Multiple people might have said a version of that. But I want to use that as a springboard to talk about how you came to love to read. Like what books led you there, as well. And and I'll I'll might mention some of mine just to give you some idea of some of the terrible books that I read both as a kid and sometimes I still read, <laughs> but it doesn't just to, just to let you know that we're not speaking from a, uh, a pedestal where we're kicking down the ladder after we get there. So, yeah. Um, 
I mean, for me, like, you know, I know like a lot of my thing is in reading and, you know, some of the listeners here maybe I mean, that, that can, you think you're a deep reader and that can, that can envision a lot of things. I mean, for me, I didn't grow up in a household with, um, with any books. There was, there was no bookshelves, um, surprisingly, um, because I loved reading, but it, you might, my dad wasn't at all much of a reader except for like guns and ammo magazine. And I, I don't even, I don't recall my mom reading much of anything, if anything. Um, but my grandparents on my dad's side noticed at an early age that I loved reading. And then, you know, the, the books that, that were connected for me, I, mean, I loved comic books. I loved Calvin and Hobbes as a kid, even though the, the themes probably went over my head because Calvin and Hobbes has a lot of, uh, wry life lessons in it. Um, uh, but when she gave me the Hardy boys and she liked to get the old editions, not the bottlerized, you know, social justice editions, <laughs> but the old editions, I, you couldn't, my nose was buried in these things. Um, you know, you, you could not pull it away from me. Like at recess, at, at, when I was at, at school, if we, if we weren't playing touch football and it was something else I didn't like, I would try to sneak off and, and read the Hardy boys. Uh, and that, I love that. And I was always a history nerd, uh, as a kid. I just, I, I don't know. <laughs> like kids wanted to go to video games. It was kind of like, I want to go see this old graveyard. I mean, my parents were like, oh, <laughs> I'm <just kidding." laughs> um, but I, I liked history books. So, but, you know, and I, and I carried that love, uh, you know, through high school and in college. And, you know, there's times I was a really avid reader and there, and there's times I wasn't reading as much, but you know, where I went to high school, I was a history major in college. So that still entails a lot of reading, but you know, kind of the, the cringy part is, so I was in the car business and you know, my family's car business and then it's sold. Um, and I moved to, uh, Colorado, uh, cause I, I wanted to try something, something different. And, uh, and that's when I got into the copywriting and online marketing and I don't know what it was and I kicked myself for, it, but I, I bought into it hook, line and sinker. Um, and it ruined my reading habit. It ruined my reading. It ruined my reading comprehension. And I was doing everything, all of the tips that everyone is telling you, uh, that is there, not everyone's telling, but that's very pervasive, you know, I tried speed reading methods. I try. I remember there was a while there was like memory castle with speed reading where you try those memory tricks to remember things. Um, and then I tried all of the the, the note taking systems, the commonplace systems, the upload to the cloud systems, the find the five nugget systems, the the find this system, the find that systems. And I was scrambling all over the place. And I started trying to turn turn books. Um, into success books. Like I was reading, I mean, like Think and Grow Rich and all of the Dan Kennedy books, all the Seth Godin books, all of the habit books. I mean, yes, there was habit books before Atomic Habits. Those things, there's nothing new there. Um, and then I was trying to, I mean, good or, or bad, Ryan Holiday did actually kind of make me read deeper books. But the problem is I was shoving them through the lens of Ryan Holiday. Like I ha have, uh, there's a, well, there's a, great biography of um winston churchill an exhaustive biography called the last lion and that you know if i look at it now i it's like it's just so cringeworthy because i'm trying to find all of like the, oh he he got up early and uh it's he's real stoic here he didn't care and then i'm also layering in my notes of well this is why he he, he had a big hook and that's how he he won the war and i'm like he, you know I look at it now i'm like he had a hook that won the war I'm like what am i talking about uh, you know, so I, I was really trying to force everything into these lenses. And what happened was I, I was getting exhausted. Uh, I mean, there was a multitude of things going on. The line of work I was doing was, was very scammy. Um, but a couple of things that happened that were big more on the reading side here is I ended up going to a stoic camp hosted by the University of Wyoming. Uh, and it's a, it was a pretty cool thing. And I walked in there thinking, like, I'm Mr. Success. I've been all the events. I'm behind the biggest guys. And I know all the mindset platitudes. Then I had college kids, you know, present me with, like, a critical thinking question that they had learned in philosophy. And I was just a deer in the headlights. I'm like, why, why am I so, like, you know, the hustle? You know, life is hustle. 
And so I, I was like, there's something off here, right? And I already knew that I was like feeling this particular kind of scramble of what was going on. So, um, you know, I, I soon after that, um, you know, when I was looking into like what, this, just kind of the spiritual emptiness that was going on with the success, you know, the success, the, the online marketing thing. You know, I looked at the bookshelf and I looked at, I had tons of notes. I had a, a, like a bunch of plastic suitcases full of commonplace notes in all of the lessons and all of this. And I looked through them and I didn't, and I looked at the books and I didn't remember a single thing. All of the lessons I had written down were these old chestnuts that were basically saying work hard or, you know, fear creates focus, Churchill, you know, like all of these, he never said that, but it's like all these, these nonsensical things. And I realized that I wasn't engaging or learning with uh, any of the any of the works. I wasn't enjoying the fiction, right? I was reading fiction, trying to find the hero's journey in everything that I read. Um, and I noticed like, one of the big authors of, for me is Raymond Chandler. I noticed when I read that, which in that book was you know kind of a big thing for for me to kind of get back on the right track and you know find my enjoyment with reading again. It's like there's no there's no hero's journey here. And you know, this breaks all of the rules that are supposed to make it successful. So I started kind of noticing the, the nonsense and the scramble that I was putting myself under with all of the correct lessons of how to optimize my reading and level up and, and optimize that hustle. So, you know, I kind of I found Mortimer Adler's book um, and it just kind of hit me at the right time. I did read it much earlier, but I try to turn it into like the five lessons of Adler. You know? <laughs> and then as soon as I got Adler's book. Um, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to stop taking notes. And that was really weird. But it, his concept of trying to leave the, uh, the book you're reading on the same footing as the author, that was like life-changing for me. So instead of si- sitting down and being very subordinate, which I think a lot of the success reading is, it's, it's well-intentioned because you're trying to gain every single benefit they can to improve your life. But in reality, you're just sitting there without any sort of concept of critical thinking. Then on the fiction side, I read Francine Prose's uh, Reading Like a Writer, and she has you slow it way down. And she removes all of the try to find the journey and try to find this and try to find here's the hook and the inciting incident. She's like, stop doing all that. Just let it speak to you and immerse yourself in the story. And when I did that, it was just, you know, that, that completely changed things. So instead of just trying to get the lessons, trying to get the lessons, trying to get the lessons and not thinking through what I was reading or if the argument was any good, when I started pulling myself up and trying to leave on the same footing as the author, that was a challenge because it's like, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you're not going to read, say, like Thomas Sowell's basic economics, like I'm just as smart as Thomas Sowell, like you're not. But if you're trying to leave on the same footing as him, to understand it as well as him. And if you have disagreements with him, but you can state those disagreements with reason, like that is, is in a sense scary, but it just starts really elevating your reading. You become way more conscientious in your thinking. And then with fiction, reading it much slower and not trying to force it through, like here's the hooks to make it a story. And here's how there, there was the hero's journey. And here's the inciting incident. When you kind of immerse yourself into it, so much more comes down to you, um, you know, and that was kind of, that's my long-winded reading journey. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because how we get, it, it feels like, um, so there's in that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis. I'm going to bring this back to C.S. Lewis, which I'll do a couple of times. <laughs> but there's a character, Mark Static, one of the main characters. His repentance involves just reading something for pleasure. Like that's part of him coming back from the brink of this terrible evil. Because for a decade he had done nothing but read the books he was supposed to read or what other people thought were important or the ones that he could learn what he needed to from. But just reading for pleasure, just because he wanted to enjoy something was part of his return 
to the good side, so to speak. I think Lewis captures something profound there. Um, but my, my journey, I think, uh, I was sort of the opposite because we did have a lot of books and my parents were readers. But um, early on in my teenage years, they gave me Clive Cussler books. <laughs> and those are just the most formulaic thrillers you could pick up and just the same dirt pit novels. Um, they would, there was some kind of flashback in the history and then the thriller had something to do with that flashback. And, um, and I found them fascinating. I gobbled those up like crazy. Um, and then just some fantasy novels too, including Lord of the Rings. But I read a ton of stuff just like Terry Goodkind and some other things I just grabbed off the shelf. Uh, which I necessarily wouldn't recommend for especially kids because you just never know what kind of stuff is going to be in there. But for that, it did help me to love reading um, above all else. And I think the thing that started getting me toward a higher taste was when I moved in with a few guys right after I graduated from college there were five of us total and we all agreed we wouldn't have a TV. So we didn't have a TV. So a lot of our time was just spent reading. And one of them was just on just such a higher level plane that I, I thought I was in terms of his reading habits. So like he had already read Gibbon uh, twice (laughs) At 22. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, and so that inspired me to read Gibbon. And so I, I started going through that. And then um, I started reading some other biographies. It just, my dad handed me John Adams and uh, Theodore Rex from Edmund Morris about uh, the presidential years of Theodore Roosevelt. And, and not it to necessarily just learn, but just to enjoy. So that was kind of the start of of that journey for me. Um, I've forgotten most of what I read out of Gibbon because it's been almost 20 years. But I do remember the feeling and some of the, I still have that old copy. And just so how you, I would sit back and say, how in the world did he write that sentence? <laughs> and... Yeah, it's it's insane how uh, how he does it and for how long. It's just insane. It's just yeah. total. Uh, it's it's otherworldly what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one book I would recommend people pick up called "An Experiment in Criticism," and it's by C.S. Lewis. It's it's his essay on the this idea that he it's called the few and the many and it's like why do some people like great literature but most people don't and it's not in a condescending way he's just curious about what makes these things tick and it's also a an exercise in great essay writing it's this long form essay because he spends the the first 10 chapters of that book and the book's only 12 chapters but the first 10 chapters of that book, he spends defining his terms and clarifying what he means about certain things and how he's approaching it. And then the last two chapters are his actual argument. And he takes you through everything. But it, it's kind of an aside, but that will also get you, give you an idea of this idea of what it means to have better taste. And not necessarily that it makes you a better person automatically, but just what are the differences between those who have taste for good literature versus those who don't? Um, so that's an experiment in criticism by C.S. Lewis. Let's see. But I still... Um, I still read... 
some bad fantasy from time to time. So this, I'm not, I'm not here reading Aristotle and uh, big biographies all the time. And all, but I, uh, but every once in a while, I think it's helpful. And this will segue into the next one. The next topic we're going to cover is how to get started and improving your taste. But Lewis recommends that for every two new books you read, read an old one. And so I think that's a pretty generous baby step. Um, is it, if, if you're into reading already, for every two new books you read, just pick an old one. And, and we'll come to some recommendations later, later on uh, about what, what those older books might be, some of your first ones. But yeah. Um, so what, how, what would you say, Jim, about getting started? Um, what would you recommend? Well, to, to kind of reverse engineer, to go along with what you said, uh, um, you know, but before getting started, the there is, uh, you know, when you're when you're wanting to read great books or deeper books, you know, um, I do think it is important to put in that those guilty pleasure books as a break. And there's you know there's nonfiction ones, there's plenty of fiction ones. But because you it can't if you're an avid reader, it's going to be like burnout if you're just like, OK, I'm going to read, you know, Edward Gibbon. Then after Gibbon, uh, you know, I'm going to plow down all of Caro and then I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to move over and do, uh, you know, Don Quixote. Like it's going to be burnout. Right. As enjoyable as the books are, and as good as the writing is, it's important to get something in fun. You know, so just starting out because it, it is kind of scary to, to think of, of developing taste like how do you do that do i just go down to barnes and noble and and pick up the most uh you know war and peace and just go there you know there's a couple of ways to do it um it's funny you mentioned uh, c.s lewis because i know i've read alan jacobs and he has some good books on on reading there's one i didn't really quite like but he's he's written on c.s lewis and he's i think he's um uses a lot of the concepts that lewis uses for the criticism uh and i think he has a biography on lewis too i'm not sure but he has a, a thing called swim upstream. And the way I like to think of it is, you know, if you want to start developing taste, you, you likely, if you're a reader now, you're going to have what you currently like for fiction or nonfiction and whatever that is, you know, don't, don't be upset like, Oh God, it's Seth Godin. Oh shoot. You know, like that's fine. Uh, but see who influences them. So, like, Jack Carr is a, a very fun uh, mystery writer. He was a former Navy SEAL. But he's really good at, uh, especially on, like, his Instagram, and I think he even does so on his Twitter, but who his influences are. So, you know, so you can read him, and then you can kind of go upstream and say, okay, he's influenced a lot by the guy who wrote Rambo. Well, I didn't realize that Rambo was a book. So you, so you kind of start going up from there. And what I find is that when you take your curiosity on, on an author you like, and if you really like a particular author, when you go up and try a, a more difficult or what, you know, what quote unquote more, what seemingly would be a more difficult book, you're able to kind of grasp what's going on because you're familiar with your current, with your current favorite and your current norm. And then you're able to kind of go like, ah, oh, this is what he's talking about. Uh, this is where he's getting this idea. And the same thing, you know, if right now if you're reading a lot of self-development books, you might find something that, uh, you know, one of the authors, whoever it is, they might like a certain psychiatrist. And that psychiatrist may have, wrote, may have written an, a very interesting book on possibly, say, you know, whether it's death or happiness, right? It's a little bit headier, but because you like these current ideas, you know, you like that book, but you, you know, you, you go to that book and say, okay, this book wasn't bad, but this guy says he, he's, you know, he's, he's referencing, he could then be referencing, say, uh, you know, it could, it could be Aristotle or it could be Jung. I mean, Jung, or not Jung, Jung is a little bit woo-woo, but it's like, that's how kind of you can kind of start uh, finding and meandering your way to find better books is to see who influences what you like. The other way to do it, I think, is if you're just getting started is, a lot of people, a lot of the success world likes to take the curiosity out of things. There's this idea of you read these nine books, it's going to correlate to you becoming a millionaire or, 
you know, the ultimate man or the Sigma male or whatever it is. And that's complete nonsense. Like reading is not necessarily just going to suddenly make you a better person. It, it, you know, it'll color your world. It might give you more empathy. It might add some personal depth, but it's not just going to suddenly read these nine books and I'm, I'm somehow much better than you. Um, but the problem is, is those lists sometimes and oftentimes can remove curiosity. So what are you curious about? And, and it's all around you. Like, uh, you, let's say you just watched the movie, The Untouchables. And maybe it's like, well, this Capone guy is interesting. Or you watch the movie Scarface. And that's kind of a, you know, a, a very hedonistic, glamorized, fictionalized version of a modern version of like a Capone kind of figure. So, so whatever that is, you can then maybe you read a biography of Capone or you read a, a, an interesting, you know, you read Mario Puzo's The Godfather, right? So you just kind of get curious on a topic and then just kind of see if you can find a popular book on that topic. That's a real easy thing. And you, I mean, that's why Amazon has a great purpose or service. If you can go on and you see a biography of, you know, what you know, we'll say Al Capone or whatever, um, you know, and yet there's 7,000 five star or four, four and a half star reviews likely that book is probably going to be readable. I mean, we could get into, there are some things where some books were, you know, there's problems with some modern books where they, they take a character, um, you know, and they can make him, well, Al Capone was really super woke and he actually was a feminist or they'd like, well, Al Capone is, uh, you know, he was fighting against rhinos and, you know, it's a, so there's all that stuff, right? You have to understand, you have to wade through, but just go and see where your curiosities lead see what is favorable and popular and, and just kind of go from there uh, is, is an easy way to get started to find accessible books and then just kind of see what, what happens or unfolds from there. Yeah, that's, I'd agree with all that. That's good advice. Swimming upstream um, is great because any, most books are going to have some kind of bibliography at least. Um, nonfiction books that you can start going through that, that does remind me i i saw the movie gettysburg early on on a tv showing and that actually is what triggered a lot of curiosity for me about the civil war and got me diving deep on that so movies totally can can be that gateway to better things um trying to think of I think movies have done that a lot for me at least the good ones um, I'd also say to add on to what you said about new stuff is let's say you want to get into Steinbeck because Steinbeck isn't too old and it's still he's still pretty modern even though it's almost 100 years gone but Steinbeck Books are considered classics by now. Um, but don't just go and pick up necessarily The Grapes of Wrath or East of Eden. Even though East of Eden is one of my favorite books. And I would almost recommend that everyone read it at some point. That wouldn't necessarily be the first book I would give to someone who wants a taste of Steinbeck. Who may have only read Of Mice of Men in high school or whatever. Um, so look for something that's a little more accessible by the same author, like Cannery Row for Steinbeck. Um, and it gives you basically everything he's known for in a more condensed package. Because I know if you get bogged down, this happened to me with Dickens. I was forced to read Great Expectations my freshman year in high school. And that was the wrong time to introduce Dickens to me. And now I have never... <laughs> read any more Dickens because I just cannot stand the memory of that taste and flavor. And I understand that is a fault in me and not Dickens, but it's still <laughs> something that happens. Um, it will, it, it's a burden to overcome and not something to necessarily be proud of, but it's still real. And so be careful of drinking from the fire hose too soon before you're ready. Right. I agree. It, it's a matter of, it, yeah. It, like if you're getting into the class, you, you want to thank your, 
Reddit, which is fine. Like always go with what your curiosity says and, and you know, kind of read what you want. But there is gonna be that, yeah. There is, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, going down, I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna grab War and Peace. <laughs> and War and Peace is very it was readable. It is it is absolutely beautiful. Um, it, it's one of the best books on human nature there is, but it is a lot because it's if it's your first time with that and you're used to reading more um you know, mass novels, the first 150 pages of War and Peace is like, is just Pasha, but all the names, like Alexander and Pasha, it's just introduction of characters. And you're like, oh my God, is this book just a list of names? <laughs> um, but, you know, but then as you get past it, because that, that's just his style, right? He's introducing all of these particular characters and then that, then it kind of starts to, to go. But that's difficult, right? That that's going to be a slog. That's not going to be easy to pick up. Like uh, Hemingway's, like man, you know, the old man in the sea is very easy to read. Um, we may have bad memories of that in high school because it's funny. Because fortunately, I'm very lucky that my high school teachers, uh, my English teachers, were great. So they they didn't leave many bad tastes uh, in the mouth of of certain books. But there's obviously when you're trying to cram Old Man in the Sea at 18. You're not going to realize, you know, Old Man in the Sea is something that, um, you know, when you're at, when you read it at, at 25, it's going to be entirely different at 35. It's going to be entirely different at, at you know, I'm 42. It's going to be entirely different at 42 because of, you know, the, the seasons of life that we all go through, you know, and there's in that supposed that's Hemingway's book where he thinks that he is, you know, he, he's losing his grip on his talent. Um. You know, but that's him. And but the message in it can relate to anything, uh, really. You know, if you're a former college athlete and you're and then you're moving on in life, you know, one time you might have been the, at the peak in your campus. So it's different. Right. It's going to speak to you in different ways. Now, that book is very accessible. I, I find some of Hemingway's other works a little bit emo. Um, uh-huh. You know, he gets I mean, Hemingway was nuts. It was completely yeah. crazy. And sometimes it's sort of when he's in a depression or he's, he's emo, it, it, to me, you can see it on the page and it, it kind of gets a little distasteful, distasteful for me, yeah. you know? So, so th- yeah, it's a, it's some of those old books. You got to go, you got to realize that you, there might be one that's a little bit more accessible and it's just a matter of asking around or finding out, you know, which ones is a little bit more accessible or, you know, Tolstoy, you might want to work up a little bit too, to, you know, I, I find Dostoevsky a little bit readier, but Dostoevsky is still kind of, I mean, the, the Russians are, are broody, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, or someone like with C.S. Lewis, there's someone who's ex- incredibly readable. Um, you know, he, he did, he's very readable and he's, I consider him a classic. So that's, that's one thing is you, you, you got to be patient and you want to just, just do a little bit of legwork to find something. That is more uh, that is uh, easier to read. And if you're looking on the nonfiction side, and this, this is the same goes for the fiction, the key is, is try to find a good translation. Um, you know, because like Marcus Aurelius's Meditations is 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 very very readable. Um, you know, there's you know there's accessory books that can go along with it to get, that can help describe you know meditations much better, but at uh, but it's it, anyone can pick it up and and grasp a lot of the, the meaning with it without understanding the the variegated meaning meanings of courage to uh, what what it meant to a stoic or you know his understandings of um, you know uh, Aurelius really liked Heraclitus so you don't need to understand Heraclitus you know to to grasp it um, so you know just you want to find a good translation that can make it that can make it very readable um, you know. And, and find a class that like meditations is very easy to read. Plato is easy to read. Aristotle ethics. It's a little bit harder, but if you're patient, it's, it's not entirely unreadable and a lot of it will come down to a, a good translation. So some people will want to find like an ebook and just a, a, the cheapest thing they can get. You're going to do yourself a, a bigger favor by trying to find a good translation. If it's a penguin classic and it's 14 bucks, just spend the 14 bucks. Versus like trying to wade through some awful translation, um, you know, th- that will help a ton to uh, yeah, to make some some books uh, much easier or much easier on yourself. Oh, yeah, for sure. Don't if you're prepared to improve your taste, you got to be prepared to spend some money 
Um, just like anything, you need to put your resources where your passions are or where you want your passions to be. So don't, don't be stingy. Um, it's like buying a, a good meal at your favorite restaurant. Don't, uh, don't be stingy. Um, yeah. So wrapping up any, any other recommendations you would give? Um, yeah, you know, a couple of quick ones and I, and I could go on for a while on these things mm-hmm. is a, a simple one is, um, and then I'll, and I'll recommend a few books that I think are, are great but I'll recommend a couple ideas to kind of help develop taste and, and to kind of help develop principle. But a si- real simple one is develop your own book list. Um, you know, separate them out on, on, you know, your Amazon wish list or, or wherever. Also abebooks.com is a wonderful place to buy books. Um, I wish I was an affiliate link and I got a million dollars for that, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but if, if you're having a hard time finding something or if you have, I know some people have gripes with Amazon, uh, you know, a books is, is, is pretty good, but, but find your own list. And a good way to do this is start again. It's just like with a curiosity. If you have certain thinkers that you like or personalities that you like on Twitter and they recommend certain books, go, go from there. And you see also too, if you can go a little bit, don't just go the success guru. Cause we're going to, you know, see if there's a, maybe there's a political thinker or a fitness thinker that you like and just see what they're recommending uh, and create those list because that will that will carry you a long way it's not that you need to read every single book that they list but if you start finding a favorite writer like i love uh you know neil ferguson any books that he recommends you know i can put on a list and that's real easy and that's going to open up a whole different doorway so make sure to be creating your own list rather than going out and try to i mean like the great books list is great for mortimer adler um but you know then there's you know, but there's also make sure to develop your own list and the guru list of nine books to become an entrepreneur. You can ignore those things. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And the other element, and this is, you know, personal to me right now, but I, I'm kind of shocked at it um, is before I get into the book recommendation, but is if, if you're curious on your worldview so let's say like, well, I think I'm conservative or I think I'm liberal. There's, you know, the, the lineage of thought that goes into those worldviews is incredible with nonfiction, fiction, and it is a very rich world. So if you are curious on your worldview, um, why you have it, see if you can explore that a little bit. Uh, you know, me personally, around 2020, you know, like I, I was kind of considered myself like, you know, I kind of figured I was a fairly conservative politically person, but I didn't really like look into it. Um, so I, you know, and then I read books on the left and then they never really captured me. But I was like, okay, I kind of see the line of thinking. But then in 2020, I really took a turn down what I, what I think I lean towards and a lot, and then things started resonating really quickly. And then that pushed me towards a variety of different, uh, of thinkers in books modern and past and that helped me understand things so if you have a worldview that you are curious on uh, definitely go down it because it, you know where where it swims and where it goes is, is i find to be a very enlightening uh, area um, so and then for the book recommendations uh <laughs> trying to think of of deeper books well i'm gonna say i mean he's my intellectual hero so i'm biased but thomas soul uh his basic economics is you know it's a big book but it's incredibly readable and thomas soul uh he that book is is he makes that as very clear as possible but what you do with with soul is you know he immediately opens up your world to different thinkers like aristotle adam smith and all and it, you know all of these other thinkers, he can open up that world. But Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell is a really good book, uh, you know, to look at. Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, as far as a classic, is really easy to read and get into. Uh, you know, it's I ignore the the modern lens of Ryan Holiday, and it's all about cold showers. Um, and there are some weird parts in, in Meditations. 
you know, like his parts on sex. But if you, if you went back in the Roman times, it, it would make sense because it was, it's, it was it was beyond promiscuous back then. It was wild. Um, you know, we think it's bad with OnlyFans now, but oh my god, if the if the woman went down to the docks back then, just banging her head against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Adult Roman males could literally do whatever they want. They, they all took it. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 women, the women and men all took advantage of it. It's crazy. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, oh my God. But, you know, it's getting off topic. Yeah. But, you know, but meditation is, is a very easy one. Uh, you know, on, on the literature side, you know, I, I think it's best to swim upstream, you know, because you, know, you could start off with Don Quixote and, his, and it is readable. But just try a couple of short things and maybe even some things you had in high school, like Old Man on the Sea or Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, uh, you know, or even, you know, some of your Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels. Even I mean, satire is a little bit harder to get. But if you start with those, they're readable. They've been around for a long time. They give them to high school students. You know what you those books at, you know, 15 or 16, you're not going to resonate with as much. Um, cause then they're, they're just trying to hope to teach you some mental discipline and cognitive endurance. But as you've experienced life, then those books are going to make, you know, will be entirely new to you. Um, and they're going to be very easy to read. Um, you know, and I, and I, so I would start there, you know, I would start, yeah, to, to recap is Thomas Sowell's biggest basic economics, which, is, which isn't just on economics. There's a lot of rich psychology with soul and how he arrived at those answers, um, is that that's going to open doors. Um, yeah. Marcus Aurelius meditations is it's ancient. It's very readable, very approachable. And uh, yeah, what, what uh, you know, a couple of classics from high school that you might've hated, but the, the, the easier ones, old man, let see Mark Twain. I, I would go from there and see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are good ones. Um yeah, for me, my one of my hobbies is theology books, <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend any of them here. But if you are curious about that stuff, I have a lot, a long list that uh, from beginner to more advanced. But for more uh, everyday things, um, so if you're looking at a biography or some history, Washington by Chernow, I think I found to be a page turner. Uh, it's a little bit long. Yeah, if if you're curious at all about the American Revolution or that that one is easily easy to read, I would say. Um, and also, let's see, if you wanted to get into some of the Greek plays, because um, you're going to from some of the old Greek plays like Sophocles, Aeschylus, and Euripides. Uh, you'll see a lot of ideas formulated in there that are still you'll be able to recognize today in sort of the evolution of them. But if you wanted to just get started with things that are just fun, uh, I would pick up Euripides one from the university of Chicago press. And these are just, uh, when I was reading them, he's not near as stuffy as some of the other Greek playwrights. <laughs> so like you'll have things where Hercules shows up and saves the day at the very end after wrestling this woman back from Hades or um, this old witch who kills her children and is arguing with her husband over it. Just, I mean, just fun stories that read really easily. Um, so that's Euripides. I was surprised at how fun I had, how much fun I had reading those plays in particular. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of classics to sort of wet your whistle would be, my recommendation would usually be pride and prejudice by Jane Austen. Um, they assign that. That's the one I read in high school at freshman year that I actually liked and enjoyed and could enjoy it on even that immature level, but it, it holds up. It's her most popular book for a reason, and it's it's a fun read. Um, but yeah, that's those would be my quick recommendations <laughs> to oh, start. And I, and I would do a disservice if I didn't recommend um, 
in the, especially if you're a writer, but if, if for serious readers, if you want to, uh, this, this is my secret hack to understanding the, the deep works. Um, <laughs> uh, Ward Farnsworth's classical English style, uh, will make a lot of books very readable, very quickly in books that you thought were maybe difficult it will make them like, oh, this is amazing because classical English style, to give a little bit of background, is a particular writing style that, that emerged, started emerging, I believe, around the 1600s. And it can read at, at first skim, when you're first reading it, it can read repetitive, uh, big worded. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you see these huge words and then you see these real small, easy to understand words. And you're kind of like, well, well, why is this? You know, so it feels like whiplash a little bit. But what those writers are doing are is a is a lot of rhetorical effects, and then Ward Farnsworth's classical English style. We'll keep saying it so people can get it. Uh, it really he does a fantastic job of teaching you how to recognize and understand the style. And the the great thing about Ward Farnsworth is, you know, he he lists a lot of the names of the the techniques and the rhetorical devices that are being used. You may not walk away remembering those, but how he shows you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, and that book, like, you know, I will make someone like Herman Melville, like Bartleby Budd or, or you know, the Scrivener, that it will, it will make that book incredibly readable right away uh, and hilarious. Like Bartleby the Scrivener is really, really funny. Um, you, you think Melville and Moby Dick, you think like this very serious, but in reality, Melville is one of the, one of the best comedic writers ever. And that, you know, something that book will make it immediately accessible to you. And the same goes for even, you know, along to kind of go along the founding fathers, that book will make, you know, like Edmund Burke is considered, you know, you may hear like Edmund Burke is considered one of the greatest stylists that have ever lived. But if you first read it without understanding that style, you'd be like, well, this style is gone now. But if you read that book first, you're like, this guy's a genius. Uh, you know, the arguments, the humor, the everything he's putting into it. And it's um, it's a very it's just a great book to help you understand a lot of works that would be, uh, you know, at first glance, like, what am I reading? Uh, and it's a great work to understand if, you know, if you're reading a great some great writers or what, what people think is a great thinker like this guy, he's not making a good argument. So it's a, it's a really special book. Uh, to help unlock, um, especially literature from around 1600s, probably up until about the 1900 or late 1800s. A lot of writers still wrote with it, like uh, you know Churchill, Dickens uses the classical English style in his own unique way. So it still exists, but it, it'll really take a, a you know 300 years of work and make it very, very readable. And that's. Do you say that's Farnsworth? Um, who's that? Yeah, War- Ward Farnsworth. Ward Farnsworth. Okay. Yeah, uh, classical yep. English style. He has a couple other books too, like the like the Socratic art. He, his books are great. They're all they're all really good. Um, but that the classical English style just completely it is like a Rosetta Stone uh, for certain works. Okay, nice. I will definitely put that on the list. Um. Oh, and I, I would be remiss to not mention if you're if you ever want to read Herodotus or Thucydides' Peloponnesian War, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend those as the first histories you read. Read, but if you're ready for them and want to get the landmark versions of them, yes, the landmark Herodotus, um, it's just maps on almost every page. You can orient yourself; it just makes the reading experience so much more pleasurable. Um, yeah, I wish I wish Gibbon had maps. That's the my biggest. Yes, but the landmark ones yep. are fantastic because the map yep. helps so much. Yeah, things are. If they ever if they ever came out with a landmark Gibbon, it would be like a twelve volume encyclopedic oh. set. So yeah, you would need but, your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that does remind me. If you're not ready for this, is the other thing I wanted to say. If you're not ready for Herodotus or anything like that, Tom Holland, uh, not the actor, but the popular historian he writes very readable and entertaining history books so you'll see like rubicon is about caesar and the roman republic uh, persian fire is about uh, the greek and persian war and how 
and it includes the you know the Battle of Thermopylae and all that good stuff in it. Um, and those read almost like uh, novels. Uh, but anything by Tom Holland, I would I would recommend as well to sort of get yeah, a taste for ancient Holland. history. Holland is, is fantastic. Well, now you, now you you're, you're making me riff. Uh, yeah, Holland is, <laughs> is absolutely fantastic. Another in that vein, uh, when he is focused, Victor Davis Hanson. Um, some of his histories because he's a classicist. Uh, he does a great job of like he introduced me to a lot like the satiricon and all these old plays. So he does a wonderful job. He does a great job of, of explaining and detailing the history, uh, but he also does a wonderful job of of leaving little carrots of finding you know Greek classics. Um, another history one, uh, Amity Schles. She wrote you know books on Calvin Coolidge or biography on Calvin Coolidge. Uh, she wrote a book on the new, Dep- or the not the new depression, uh, the Great Depression, and she wrote a book on the uh, the Great Society from the 1960s. She is um, a very approachable writer. She's like a, a writer, a history writer who can make she make she makes the tax code of the 1920s like fascinating. Uh, <laughs> so she has a great sense of like her sentence structure is very simple, and she kind of she can add this pacing to it. Without doing like you know, some mass hit, like as your taste develops, you're going to realize some popular pop history books are just you're going to probably cringe later that you read them. They're fun, but you know they just kind of make it like in the battle was won, like you know, <laughs> leaves out a lot. Uh, but she makes she she has that pacing, but she doesn't she doesn't water it down into this kind of um, you know, worship of the time or worship of the character or something like that. So it's just, she's really very, very readable um, in, in, a, in an exciting reader to read or writer to read. I mean, yeah, I have heard of her. That's probably from your newsletter, but I can't remember where. Well, we could probably riff off books for probably the next two or three hours Easy. without any, without any effort. So we will, uh, we'll call it a day. If anyone has any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or just ping us like that and we'll probably respond because um, we obviously both like talking about books so yes <laughs> well thanks again Jim uh, oh thank you it's yeah. an honor thank you and again you can find him jimclair.com and uh, we'll see you on Twitter thanks awesome